0: Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash northadelaide. Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 22, it is the Ten Commandments. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb, It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire of the mountain. At this time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in any form in anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day." Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that you may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desires on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments of the Lord, proclaimed in a loud voice to you as a whole assembly, there on the mountain from out of the fire, the clouds and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on, these on two tablets and gave them to me. The second reading is coming from the New Testament in Mark, we're reading Mark 10, 17 through 25. So Mark 10, 17 through 25. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing he lacked, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around him and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his word, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Amen. Thanks, Jacko. Well, good morning.
1: Uh, My name is Simon. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Uh, It's good to be with you this morning as we continue in our series through the book of Deuteronomy. Um, I promise you that not every week we'll read the same passage of Deuteronomy that we read the week before. We will actually make our way through Deuteronomy eventually, but um, just so you don't, you know, sort of feel like that's going to be the trend that we take throughout um, the, the whole time in this book. Um, if you were here last week, I do hope you've got Deuteronomy five open in front of you uh, right now, somehow on a device or, or hard copy. Um, if you were, if you were. If you were here last week, we opened up and sort of did a bit of an intro to the Ten Commandments. Um, If you weren't here last week, why not? Uh, No, just joking. Last week we thought a bit about the the Ten Commandments, and we were reminded that the Ten Commandments are a bit of a cultural icon. Uh, They're really familiar in our culture, and have been for many, uh, from ever since they sort of the Lord Jesus kind of arrived on planet Earth. In some ways, the Ten Commandments were at the heart of Israel's life. Um, particularly, we thought about that twofold imperative that comes out of the Ten Commandments to love God and love your neighbor. That's the duty of humanity. But more than being a duty of us as humans, we thought about how the Ten Commandments, loving God, loving neighbor, is a pathway to freedom. Um, not restrictive commands, but a, a, a set of commands for us that actually make sense of who we are as human beings in relation to each other and in relation to God. Today we are going to work our way through, I, halfway through preparing this sermon I was like what on earth have I done um, because we're going to look at all 10 in one go this morning. Um, so again like I said last week I hope you've had extra wheat bix uh, as we get through um, this section. Before we do get into it though I do hope you've got the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5 open in front of you I just thought we'd start and I'm going to get you to turn to the person next to you and just um, answer this question which of the 10 commandments assuming they're still good for us today which of the 10 commandments do you think is the most neglected in your life um, maybe as a society, which of the 10 commandments do you think is the most neglected? Um, get in first, ask the person next to you, and then they can stumble around with an answer. Um, all right, I'll give you about a minute to do that. Which you do you think is the most neglected? Go. All right, come back together. I won't, uh, I won't get you to share that, but keep that in mind as we open up this part of God's word today, I perhaps I'll share with you what I think is the most neglected one as we go through um, but so, should we pray let's pray heavenly father uh, you have spoken to your people in many ways over many thousands of years you've spoken to your people from burning bushes lord through prophets through your son the lord jesus and through the pages of scripture please speak to us today so that we can know serve and enjoy you forever help us to be people who listen to you father who learn from you and father with the help of your holy spirit be people who obey you in light of what you've done for us and we ask this in jesus name amen there's a picture on the screen coming up anyone to recognize who that is Anyone? Gina yeah, it's Gina Reinhardt, there you go. Um, I don't know Gina Reinhardt. Um, she may be a, a very nice person. Uh, she is said to be the richest woman in Australia, uh, and in fact, the richest person, I think, in Australia, um, with assets valued at over $20 billion. But with all the time that she spends in court against her children, I wonder if any of us would think that she is living the good life, the really good life, like the $20 billion good life, I doubt it. But what is the good life, what is the good life? In Australia today, what does the good life look like? Um, Let's not parody it. Far too often, we have social critics and people standing in pulpits in churches like this decrying the superficiality of modern life, a life based on consumerism and hedonism and self interest, where shallow comments are made about shallow relationships, where desperate and legitimate attempts to find meaning are ridiculed, and our hopes of a good retirement are often parodied with images of grey nomads endlessly circling Australia in their vans and Winnebago's. We see those things, right, but I don't think that is the good life that we want. James Packer may have said, he who dies with the most toys wins, but I don't think many Australians really agree with him. When we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that we'd like a bit more money. When I'm honest with myself, I sometimes think I'd like a bit more money but I think we often feel sorry for the super rich who often seem to lead lonely and dysfunctional lives. Ask most Australians what they want and it will be some combination of good friends, good relationships with family, material security, happiness and meaning. The problem is not what we want, it's how we go about getting what we want. I've been a pastor for, in terms of paid ministry for over 12 years and I've been talking with people for about 12 years about this sort of stuff. Most people I engage with don't wanna spend the rest of their lives looking for the ultimate collection of clothes. Anyone in the room looking for the ultimate No, most people don't wanna look for the ultimate collection of clothes or the latest electronic gadgets or property or worry about superannuation. We just don't know what is enough, though. We want meaningful relationships, but we're scared to make ourselves vulnerable enough to forge them and to sustain them. We don't want to wreck the world with like human-made climate change, but many of us, myself included, aren't prepared to do what it takes to stop it. We want the good life, we just don't know how to get it. Listen to Jesus describe how to live well. Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus said, love God and love your neighbour seek the glory of God so everyone gives him the honor and praise that he is due and seek the good of all those people whom you can reasonably help this is the way to love well before God this is Jesus way to the good life how close does that sound to the 10 commandments all those, you know, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. I suggest that just as the weight of the good life is found in the words of Jesus, love God, love your neighbor, the same good life can result from following the Ten Commandments. Because love for God and love for neighbor, like we looked at last week, is at very much at the heart of each one of the commands. Now we need to explore this, but first we need to remember where we are in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, If you've been here since the beginning of our series, Moses has led God's people, the people of Israel, for nearly 40 years um, out of Egypt where they were enslaved and oppressed under Pharaoh in Egypt. He's led them out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness, and now they're camped on the edge of the promised land. They're about to enter in. And Deuteronomy is Moses in three speeches or one long one Reiterating the law that God gave to His people originally at Mount Sinai, Um, Deuteronomy is broken down into Deuteronomos, Second Law. Moses is reiterating the law that was first given to God's people 40 years earlier, as they emerged from slavery from Egypt. So, and in that 40 years of wandering, because Israel, you know, God's people said, "Yeah, we'll love you, we'll do everything." They were disobedient, and so God said, "Yeah, you're going to wander." That first generation of God's people has died. The new generation of God's people stands poised on the edge of the promised land. And in the first speech, basically Moses kind of goes back through all the components of the covenant, the relationship, the contract that God set up between himself and his people at Mount Sinai in the region of Horeb. Moses spoke to them about entering the promised land. He says, this is the covenant that God made with you. Listen to all that he says to the God's people, you who are here and alive today. God spoke from the burning bush to you. It was intimate, but it was terrifying. This is direct and personal communication from God, the God who saves to a people that he had saved. And Moses then restates the Ten Commandments and explains their purpose See, if the people of Israel feared God and keep his commandments, they and their children will prosper forever. Moses was talking about the good life. He said they would enjoy the good life if they listened, learned, and obeyed. Three verbs here, listen, learn, and obey. So let's look at these 10 ways to the good life. Um, Many books have been written about the Ten Commandments. Um, Here's one I can recommend to you J.I. Packer, Keeping the Ten Commandments, published by Crossway. Um, It's a really great book, it's really short. Yeah, Um, which I like, I like short books. Um, But it's really short, really helpful, J.I. Packer. There's other ones, Um, Jen Wilkin has written a really great book uh, called 10 Words to Live By. Um, There is a great book on the 10 Commandments by a guy named Kevin DeYoung. Um, All I have to say, there's lots of great books written on the 10 Commandments. Um, Today I'm gonna look at their basic meaning and purpose in their original context, and then consider how we can apply them today. Um, it's likely right that the, the, the last nine of the ten commandments basically are an exposition of the first commandment do not have any gods beside me because the last nine point really to different forms of idolatry that we can get ourselves into but the people of israel were still called to listen to learn and obey all ten god shows that we need application so we're going to look at all ten Right. so God started, here we go. So I'm not gonna, I am not going i have not by the way, I haven't got like a pithy little one-line statement for each of the commands. We're just gonna work our way through all 10, all right? So if you're a note taker, just keep up. There you go, that's all I've got for you today. Um, right at the beginning of these commands, Right. God confirms who he is. God says, "I am Yahweh, the Lord your God. I am who I am. I am the God who saves. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. This law is for a people who'd already been saved. These were rules for free people to stay free. Just as Jesus commands to, to love are not the way we are saved, these commands are for people who've already been saved. And so just as like we are not called to love God and then Jesus goes, okay, you're good enough, you can be in, like we are called to love in response to his love for us. These are commands for people who are already saved by faith. The Israelites had already seen, right, through Abraham that faith, trusting in God's word, trusting in God's promises was the way to be right with God. As it is for us as we trust in Jesus' sin-smashing death and death-crushing resurrection, we are then called to live in light of that for God's glory. These laws are for the way we are to enjoy the good life. These These are laws for the good life for those who are saved, for rescued people. And the people were to have no other gods but the Lord who saves. The Israelites were surrounded by other nations who worshipped all kinds of gods, like the more the merrier, but that was not the Lord, that was not who the Lord was and who his people were to be. They were to have an exclusive relationship with their God, Yahweh. The covenant embodied in the Ten Commandments was an expression of God's jealous love for his people. It was his way of caring for those people he'd saved. The Israelites were then to be free from worrying about other gods. This was not a restrictive thing. This was a doorway into a freedom and abundant life. See, the Israelites had experienced the faithfulness of God towards them in Egypt and in the wilderness. And now now they were called to respond to Yahweh with undivided devotion. And so it is with us. If you're here today and you know and love the Lord Jesus and you've experienced his grace and his mercy, Jesus' total faithfulness, taking on human flesh, taking our sin on his shoulders and dying for us, we too are called to put aside the false gods of the peoples around us and be faithful and devoted to the only God who saves. Carved images of the gods of fertility and harvest and war were really common for Israel's neighbours. And so the second commandment is not a prohibition against art or creativity or aids for worship, but it's a prohibition on anything that would distract God's people from worshipping the one true and living God. Anything that would lead them away from a relationship marked by love and faithfulness. Some people, when you come to this second commandment, sort of struggle with the reference of God being a jealous God, punishing the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. They see this as an unattractive characteristic of God which distances us from him. But let's not pass over this, it's part of our Bible, so let's kind of deal with it. The point being made is probably that children are impacted by the sins of their parents and often repeat those sins, which we see in much of the history of Israel over the coming 1500 years. The subsequent generations of Israel would make idols, they'd bow down to them and perpetuate the sins of their parents. But God, out of his protective love for his people, promised to throw love to thousands upon thousands of generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. There's a total imbalance here, right? God's extraordinary commitment, faithfulness, and generosity is amazing to thousands of generations. God's love and generosity, his grace and his mercy is not limited by our behavior. And his focus is always on the good life that flows to people whose love is exclusively for the God who saves now, there are all kinds of modern forms of idolatry. That is, when we take something good that God has given us and shift it into the place that only God should have, that's idolatry. It's like a good thing that God has given, and we shove God out of the way and put that up into its number one place. Right? So the, the good of material security can easily become an all-consuming passion and crowds out God. An anxiety about whether we have enough replaces confidence in God who wants us to know his love for generations. But faithful love for God replaces anxiety and opens the door for relationships and communities which embody the good life. Love and faithfulness lead to a life that God will prosper. The NIV, um, translation of the third commandment, says this, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Older versions um, say you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now in Moses' time, right, um, many people thought the world worked by magic, So I'm told. So the name of your God, right? You'd have a God and you'd invoke that God's name and harness that God's power in the hope that they would do magical stuff for your good. And the God who saves though, the God of the Bible, says that's not how I work. I make promises and I keep my promises. I work on the basis of love and faithfulness. So don't misuse my name for your purposes. I am your God. I'll look after you, says Yahweh. Now for us today, right, it's probably best not to get distracted by people who use the divine names like as a swear word. You know, when you hear people at workplace going, oh my God, you know. Although it's hard, to, I mean, it's hard to think that God is thrilled, right, when his name is used in that sort of way. A more serious concern is when we try to manipulate God. You know, we've been given extraordinary permission and privilege to pray in the name of Jesus but only for the things we can expect Jesus would want for us speaking with our God prayer is our way of demonstrating our love and our delight and our dependence in God and our confidence that he is sovereign and faithful in his promises so we're not to abuse the gift of prayer by trying to manipulate God Now we come to one of the most, well, one of the most controversial controversial commandments. Number four, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, I feel like not every pastoral conversation I have ends up being about the Sabbath, but I feel like I've had a number of pastoral conversations about the Sabbath. What do we do with the Sabbath, Jacko? The original meaning, I think, was really closely tied to Israel being saved from physical slavery in Egypt. Um, it's probably connected to God resting on the seventh day of creation. We were made as workers and we were also made to rest as human beings. But the primary focus was the way to honour the God who saves was to rest on Shabbat, the seventh day. The day we know is Saturday, actually. It was a command to express our faithful relationship to God in rest and dedication to the Lord. So it was a day set aside to rest and devote it to the Lord. Now, Christians, we've we've wrestled with this for centuries. In the early years of the church, Sundays were properly seen as the day where we celebrated, God's people would celebrate their liberation from slavery and freedom from sin and, and our share in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Sunday became a formal day of worship and rest, right, quite rightly, but Christians down the ages have forbidden all sorts of work and play and sport and fun on Sundays in part to apply this command to our circumstances but also in part to control people. I don't really have time to unpack a full theology of the Sabbath this morning, which I think you'll be happy with, right? But, um, but let's keep in mind rest, worship and the good life. See, if we only ever work we will kill ourselves and destroy relationships with family and friends. If we put work and individual goals above other people, we'll fail to love God and we'll fail to love our neighbour. And Hebrews 10.25 clearly commands us to meet regularly with each other. Probably frequently is the better sense here. I mean, you can be regular by coming once a month, right? But I think frequency is the idea here. We should be frequently meeting with God's people. And not just in this way, but in all kinds of different ways, in smaller gatherings, that's the idea. So at the very least, brothers and sisters, to build families and communities that embody the good life, God wants us... What God wants for us, he wants to cast off the idolatry of individualised labour and vanity-driven success. Success is good when it's directed to the good of other people, but success for its own sake can take us away from worship of God and our dedication of our lives to him. So we must rest from work, I reckon, at least one day out of seven. And we must gather with other Christians that God has saved to get it to dedicate ourselves to him our rest and our desire for worship will disappoint some people some people will say come on you always go to church on sunday but it will please god and it will be good for our neighbors and we should not stop others from resting and worshiping as well to me the fifth command is the most neglected today Honour your father and your mother. That's my personal opinion. You might disagree. We can have a conversation about this at the door after if you want, but I think it's one of the most neglected. Um, Honour has a broad meaning. Um, it, it includes respect, uh, listening to, caring for, loving. Right? I want us to notice two key things. First, this is said to adults. Adults. This is not limited to children and to adolescents, right? The people of Israel were to honour their parents until their parents died. Second, it was tied to a promise. Living out this command will result in communities that enjoy the good life. Children prosper by being in loving and faithful relationships with their parents, and parents benefit from the care and honour that they receive. Now I, I know this command is particularly difficult for people's, people whose parents don't want to be honoured or for people whose parents have hurt or abused them. Clearly you should not tolerate abuse and sometimes you can only be prepared to honour your parents if there is reconciliation. But these real difficulties should not stop us from looking at this neglected command. I I was asked to give a short talk some time ago on this particular command to a group of Chinese, largely Chinese university students at Adelaide. I preached on this and it's actually it's a really big deal for overseas students, particularly Chinese, overseas students studying in Australia. How do they honour their parents if their parents want them to stay in Australia but the student wants to go home and be with their friends in China? Or how do they care for their parents if the student says, no I want to stay here in Australia? Should they marry someone their parents have chosen for them um, back in China? Um, I was preparing the talk, um, and what I found really fascinating is hardly anything is written about it. Um, I spoke to some people who work in the area of cross-cultural ministry, and I said, like, how do you deal with this? Um, Across a variety of different cultures, some Chinese um, sort of cultural ministry and some indigenous work, um, pretty much everyone said, I don't know, let me know what you come up with. Um, How do we honor a parent if they don't live with us? How do we honor our parents as they age, become infirm, or develop dementia? I, As a pastor, but I used to work as a physiotherapist, and part of my work as a physio, I'd go to a couple of aged care facilities, and um, I'd hear so many stories from older people who had no visitors. or or when the kids do come, the kids just spend their whole time squabbling about the inheritance. If we don't care for our parents in their home or our homes, we must honor and care for them wherever they are with frequent visits. Don't choose facilities that that suit you, but choose the ones that are best for your parents. And I say this carefully, I don't think we ought to accept jobs that take us away from caring for the needs of our parents. There may be a great job in Melbourne or Sydney. Probably don't want to go to Melbourne or Sydney right now. But if you're responsible for the well-being of your parents, I think you need to be here or wherever they are. This is as much I'm speaking to myself as anyone else in the room. You see, obeying this command sets us free. When I was at Bible College, I got to know a couple there, Mark and Carlin. They are a bit older than me um, and Carlin was from Malaysia. Um, Her parents, um, Mark was born in South Africa, but Mark then had moved many years ago with his family to Australia. Carlin's parents uh, were older and living in Malaysia. at one stage, before you know, COVID destroyed our lives. No, Mark and Mark and like a couple of years ago were planning this amazing trip to Europe, um, five-week trip to Europe. Uh, Mark, uh, who worked in, in sort of Christian ministry, um, he was going to go to London. They were going to go to London first. Mark was going to do some study there, and then they knew these people in Paris. I wish I knew these people in Paris who had this amazing apartment, you know, like over the river. It was luxury, and they were going to free load off them for a couple of weeks and then get this carlin had a member of her family who owned a house on the greek island where mama mia was filmed like i don't like that film but i like the place i like the place anyway so they were going to go on this amazing holiday right five weeks and then carlin's dad developed dementia he declined really quickly in with dementia in Malaysia, most people are cared for at home. Carlin's mum couldn't manage to look after her husband on her own. And so, Carlin's brother, a Christian man, he moved, he gave up his job in Mackay in Queensland to move to Malaysia to care for his parents full time. Mackay, Queensland to Ipoh, Malaysia to care for his folks that's the way he was going to honor his parents and mark and carlin who were already supporting their carlin's parents in malaysia two adults living in malaysia mark and carlin then had to cover large hospital and medication bills and now the living expenses of three adults living in malaysia and you know what they didn't think twice they canceled most of their trip and they bear no resentment for anything of it because they've been shaped by God's view of the good life. They are to love, and in that case, to love is by honoring Carlin's parents. These commands are not burdensome. They set us free to be the people that God wants us to be. My friends Mark and Carlene did not have any problem working out what was the right thing to do. It was self-evident. Carlin's parents' needs were greater than Mark and Carlin's desires. So honoring our parents is an essential expression of loving our neighbours. And builds a culture, right, where we can be free from anxiety, free from the anxiety about our retirement, and therefore be free to be more generous in the here and now. And remember that love is passionate, sacrificial action. Sixth commandment. Turn to the sixth commandment, right? Not living in fear of being killed by your neighbours is rather important for living the good life. Would you agree? Yeah. So God called Israel to respect each other's lives. The prohibition didn't apply to killing animals or legitimate war, but was obviously crucial to a happy and harmonious community. And so it is today. Number seven, technically the command against adultery applied only to sex by a married person with someone who they were not married to. This form of sexual immorality was singled out because it undermined the relationship between a man and a woman in lifelong commitment and faithfulness to one another their community was to be built on strong families and that's god's plan for us today so in the old testament right when we think about here adultery we're talking about sex by a married person with someone whom they are not married to when you open the new testament it clearly broadens the idea of sexual immorality to all forms of sex outside of marriage and also to lust on the lips of jesus This commandment showcases like a vision for good anchored in much more than just immediate personal gratification. The good life is found in harmonious trusting relationships. God intends sex to build intimate lifelong marriages and to bring forth children in the best environment for them to flourish. Having sex with someone you're not married to will not build relationships of trust. It's not good for them, it's not good for you, and not good for the relationships you want for the future. So not having sex outside of marriage is an expression of Jesus' command to love our neighbors. So I don't know, if you, do you see how each one of these commandments we've looked at so far sort of is underpinned by love for God and love for neighbor, that vertical and the horizontal? Um, I'd love to have more time to talk about the Israelite notions of property and the place that goods and workers played in the economy of Israel. Um, Probably the idea that lies behind commandment number eight, you shall not steal, is actually the idea of stealing a person to work for you rather than working for themselves or working for someone else. Um, the prohibition was against one person gaining control over the life of another. Um, this was contrary to the good life that God had planned for his people. Um, it's tied to the idea of freeing slaves and jubilee. I wonder if today um, we link this command too closely to notions of like private property and wealth. Um, but a society in which your livelihood is under threat because of theft in all of its forms is not conducive to communities of trust and happiness and flourishing. Again, I think he'll agree. If I was to talk about this a bit more, right, I would probably need to speak about the need for greater generosity, um, radical hospitality and the need for the substance of our, com- our economy to be used responsibly for the good of the whole community, sharing. All the wealth of our commonwealth being used for the common good. But that'll have to wait for another sermon another day. Number nine, commandment number nine, clearly shows the focus of the Ten Commandments on sustaining a life of community. The original aim was against um, false claims that you would make against your neighbours, but it's been broadened out to ideas of lying and deception. Um, What place does lying and deception have in a community of love and faithfulness? How can we have a good life with people we don't trust or who have no basis upon which to trust us? And the final commandment, number 10, works on the idea of the desires of our hearts. Desire for people or the things that other people have is incompatible with love. It's hard, us, it's hard for us to enforce this commandment against each other because you know we can't see each other's hearts but the reality is God knows our hearts and he's our judge. He knows the secrets of our hearts and therefore love for him means having a pure heart Pure, both because we are being conformed into the likenesses of his son and pure because the gift of the gift of repentance and forgiveness. God is interested in our hearts, not our outward appearances. We can't fool him, so let's not try. I've been suggesting this morning that we should grab hold of these commandments as the way to the good life. They're not a random collection of abstract rules, but a carefully constructed plan to achieve a life worth living. Living under the Ten Commandments would not undo the fall. We need Jesus to undo the fall for us. There would still be death, disease, and other suffering until Jesus returns. But God's people would have prospering communities of love and faithfulness in which they would help each other where we would help each other through hard times. But whenever we look at the law in the Old Testament, right, the question arises, doesn't it, do they really apply to us today? Do the Ten Commandments apply to us today? And if yes, then how? It's a bit like the, the devil speaking to Adam and Eve back in the garden, right? Did God really say that? Do, you re- do these really apply to us today? There are many views on this, by the way, but with the Ten Commandments, the answers, I think, are pretty clearly yes, they apply. When we, and particularly when we look at them refracted back through the prism of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Our second reading, Mark chapter 10, uh, a rich man comes to the Lord Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus say? You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your mother and your father. Jesus didn't say, you know, when the man said, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't go, mate, mate, you don't need to worry about all that stuff. That's old. Get with a new program. No, Jesus affirmed them. And taught that the rich man, his problem was not there, but his problem was he was worshipping his riches. His heart was not turned to God. Formal obedience to some of the Ten Commandments is no way to salvation and eternal life. Only trust in the Lord Jesus is. But they are still the way to live well before the living God and in his world as his creatures. They're still the way to the good life. And the social order that's embodied in the Ten Commandments seems to underpin the social order that Jesus envisaged, that Paul envisaged, and all the New Testament writers envisaged. This should be no surprise to us. The essential nature of humanity didn't change when Jesus entered the world. We're still embodied souls We're still made in the image of God, made for relationship with God, living in his world that he created and he sustained. Yes, we have Jesus. Yes, we have forgiveness of sins. But the good life really hasn't changed much in 3,200 years. It's still shaped around good friends and good relationships with family, material security, happiness and meaning. And meaning and happiness comes from knowing, trusting, loving, and obeying God in the ways that he shows us in the person of the Lord Jesus. I've got to finish. Again today, we've hung out with a bunch of people who had been rescued from slavery to sin, spent 40 years wandering in the desert, desperately looking for a better life, and God, through his prophet Moses, showed them the way, a life of love and faithfulness. And 2,000 years ago, the father sent his son to rescue humanity from slavery to sh- sin and showed us what the good life looks like. It's remarkably similar. It's living lives of loving faithfulness to God in response to his kindness, grace and mercy to us. You can count that good life on 10 fingers. You can count the good life on two fingers. Love God, love your neighbour in response to God's extraordinary love for us. The question for us, City Light Church North Adelaide, is whether we're going to listen and learn and in the power of the Holy Spirit obey. My prayer is that we will. Shall we pray? Let's pray. The psalmist writes in Psalm 40 I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is in my heart. Heavenly Father, teach us to love what you command. And Father, teach us to desire what you promise. That uh, that amongst the changes and the chances of this fleeting world, our hearts may be surely fixed where true joy, love, and faithfulness are to be found, that is, in the person and work of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray that with the help of your Holy Spirit, enable us to listen to your word, to learn your word, and obey your word. And Father, we ask this for our good, Father, for the joy of our neighbor, and for your honor, and for your glory. And Father, as we today have worked through these 10 words that you gave to your people that are upheld by your Son, the Lord Jesus, Father, we pray that you'd just write your law onto our hearts, help us to, to not see your law as burdensome, but indeed, as we thought about last week and have reflected on today, to see it as freedom, a pathway to freedom. And Father, through your word, make us more and more into the people that you want us to be.